Well, I'm just excited uh, that last week we had you guys bring up names in the front here that we were praying about inviting, and uh, um, we had probably... We had hundreds of names. I'm sure pretty darn near a thousand names that you guys laid before, um, just uh, before the Lord. As um, the staff has been praying for us and the elders have been praying over those names, it's been an exciting thing. And I know I already heard a couple of stories about some people who uh, who literally went up to, I think it was one of their coaches, and just said, "Hey, you're coming to church with me on Easter." And the guy's like, "No way, I'm not. I'm not doing that." He's like, "No, you're coming to church with me on Easter." He's like, "Well, I've got something to do. It doesn't matter. You're coming to church with me on Easter. Hey, it's early in the morning. We got an 8:30 service." You're coming to church with me on Easter. And the guy said, okay, fine. So uh, that, that's good. That's, that right there is good invitation work. You want to make sure they come to the party, the celebration of this resurrection of Jesus. And this is our Palm Sunday celebration, the day in which we declare Jesus as our Lord. Amen. He is uh, on this day in history. We uh, know that Jesus entered into Jerusalem on the last week of his life and he was celebrated as the king. They, they shout out Hosanna. They were laying down palm branches. And so we're going to talk about that, king, that kingship today as we finish off this series called Pardoned. And we're realizing in this conversation in this series has been this question. For Christians, and you may not be a Christian, we understand that, but for those of us who are Christians, we've been forgiven of our sin. We've been released from the burden and the, and the wrath that God is going to place upon humanity because of sin. And so there's this life that we have, in a sense, we've been pardoned by God. There's this life we're supposed to live. And the question is, how do you do that? And, and, and maybe some of you who aren't Christians, you've seen Christians run around and you've heard, oh yeah, you guys are forgiven of sins. We get that. Jesus died on the cross for my sins. You've heard that. But you've seen Christians run in one direction where they're just, they're living like worse lives than you. They do more, more evil and more judgment and more sin. And you're like, what is going on? They say, well, Jesus died for my sins. I get out of everything free kind of thing. And on the other hand, there's a large group of people that we may not necessarily connect with because they seem bound down by all these extraneous rules. Like I, I got to read this and I got to do that. And I can't watch this movie and I can't listen to this music. And that's just wrong. And I can't drive this kind of a car. And there's just all these rules that they, they placed on their lives. And we've been doing in this series kind of untangling that mess of how do you live now that you're pardoned? How do you live now that you've been set free? Because we realize you can't, you can't run after sin when you say you're running after Jesus. Because what sin ultimately does is it binds you down, it ties you up and builds bad habits in your life that you can't break. On the other hand, when you follow after Christ and you have a relationship with God and you obey his word and he trains you and teaches you, you you gain character. You gain the ability to choose correctly as decisions come your way. On the other hand, we talked about the fact that we can't just just make the law, obey the law and make it control us because the law provokes some of us. Remember the 25 mile an hour sign and causes some of us to want to drive faster and it causes others of us to fear the law in such a way that we're going to get crushed if we don't obey it perfectly. And both ways, we wind up being just messed up and broken by the law. And so we found out the bottom line of this series, we just want to bottom line it, is this. The only way to live pardoned is to live in relationship with Jesus Christ. It's to live in a relationship in which you know God and he's walking with you and he's talking with you and you're enjoying him in the word and in worship and in community and in prayer and all the ways that we talk about here at Olive Branch and to become a passionate Christ follower is all about relating with God. It's not about rules and regulations. It's not about you're free to go off and sin. It's about a relationship that you have with God because he set you free through Jesus Christ to have that. Does that make sense? Bottom line, right there. And so it's interesting because When we talk about this, there's one more trouble that Christians have, and there's one more trouble that everybody has, and that is, what do you do? What's going on? Why do I still feel like I want to sin? Why is that there? If I'm I'm saved, 
Isn't that over? Isn't that done? Isn't that wrestling match supposed to be ended? I mean, shouldn't I be free to go to just, just do everything for God and not wrestle with sin any longer? And there's, that's a mystery in the Christian heart and a wrestling match that has been present for centuries. And it's akin to the idea of a gang member getting out of jail. This morning, there was very likely the chance that a gang member was released from prison. And as he exited that prison, he began to walk down familiar streets, getting on a bus, moving out into, the, into, his, old, into his old neighborhood and, and looking around and realizing that the whole pole and everything is back toward the gang life. Everybody and everything is associated with that, pulling him back in. He needs a complete other to give him a guidance out. He, needs a, he has a complete other vision that needs to happen. And that's really where we are as Christians. We've been released, but then there's these two worlds that are pulling us in two directions. What do we do about that? Where do we go about that? What what happens? Because this is a whole picture of difficulty that we live in. And it's found in in Romans 7. The picture is right here. And I kind of want to let this picture be painted by the Bible itself. And so let's look at this. Romans chapter 7. We're going to begin in verse 13 this morning. And we're going to kind of roll forward from there. If you don't have a Bible, they're available in the seats. And you can pull it out and you'll find this this scripture on page 943. You can join with us and read through kind of what is this reality that we live with. And it starts with this basic thing in verse 13. He says, did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good. And he, he's talking about the law. And he just finished saying that when I, when I tried to obey the law, I was provoked by it, and so I ended up sinning. And then the law crushed me. I died because, the, because I sinned against the law. And so he's trying to ask this question, is the law then bad? Is it, is it not good to me? Is it, is it a bad thing because it brought death to me? And he says, no, 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 wait. It was sin that produces death in me through what is good, the law in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. And this is kind of an odd sentence, but he's bottom lining is this. Guys, we all have sin in our lives. All of us have sin within us. And we need to understand this. We need to grasp this because while you're saved, there's still something going on. And if you're not a Christian, you may be thinking, ah, I don't think I have sin. Yeah, I've done sin here and there, but I don't think I have sin in me. It's not like something that's there. And, and this is where Paul wants to get into it. He says, look, the law is important to think about here then. If you don't feel like you have sin in you, if you don't really believe that sin is something that's so powerful in you, look at the law for a second. Notice what he says. He says, the law is good, and it it doesn't bring death to me. Instead, sin produces death in me through the law. Why? In order that sin might be shown to be sin. You know, we all have that cavalier attitude about sin. Uh, It's not a big deal to lie about this one small thing. I can shade the truth a little bit. Oh, what's one more drink? I mean, I'm already buzzed, and it's drunk one time ain't going to hurt me. Oh, I know it's not that big of a deal. I'll be over it in the morning. Oh, you know, it's no no big deal to go over here and and figure out how to yell and and scream about my wife or my husband with these guys so they think I'm cool or whatever. And, And there's all this stuff that we do. I mean, ridiculous stuff. But it's in us. It's there. And we may trivialize it, but once we do it, something happens. We realize, oh, that wasn't that smart. That wasn't that good. And we realize there's a trouble spot inside, that the sin is actually there, and that it's entirely sinful. The picture is like you and I walking into a doctor's office, and we have some, some symptoms. We're not quite sure what the symptoms are. We don't feel too great. We're tired. We're lethargic. We've got some pain. We go, and they go. They look at us, and they say, we need, we need to schedule you for an MRI. 
They put you in the MRI machine. I've never had an MRI, but I hear it's like torture. You're just lying there like this, and it's like dun, 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 this big loud noise echoing the whole time. And you, if you're claustrophobic, you're doomed kind of a thing. And, and what they do is they're examining all of you to check out or whatever part they're checking out to see what's going on. And then they see it. They find cancer. And you realize it's spread all over, and that's why you don't feel good. Oh, yeah, you can trivialize your symptoms until, you, until the MRI reveals what really the problem is. Then it's a big deal. That's what the law does with sin. We may think it's this small little deal. We may think it's this, eh, I do some sin here and there. But then the law comes in and shows us that when we're angry, it's really akin to, to not loving someone, which ultimately can lead to murder if, we're, if we stay bitter and don't forgive. We, we see that shading the truth is actually lying, and it ultimately it's horrible when we start using it to harm other people. Uh, covetousness is, and we start going, wait a minute, I'm a coveting, lying adulterated, murdering, and you just start laying it out there and you go, what is God going to do to me? And you start seeing through the law just how sinful we really are. How full of sin we really are. And so that's what Paul's saying is that this thing is good. It's like that MRI examines us and shows us the mess. And then it's really realized when you see that it's actually controlling you. You see, Sin has a grasp on us. It's a power that's greater than us. And it can lead us. Notice this, verse 14, he says, For we know the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh. He's saying we know the law is from God, spiritual, but we are, we are of the flesh. And he's speaking in the personal. He's saying, this is Paul writing as a Christian. He says, I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I don't understand my own actions. I don't... For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I want, I, if I do, this is, this is always hard for me to read, so we'll work through this. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So let's stop there because it can get really confusing with the do's and do nots and don'ts and all this stuff. He's basically saying this. He starts off, he says, guys, we all do things we know are wrong. We all inevitably understand the path we're going to choose is not a good one, and we choose it anyway. Or we choose a path, and we thought it was good, and then later on we say this to ourselves, this is not the kind of person that I want to be. You ever said that to yourself? And I said said that to myself last night. Um, um, My wife went off to... um, to a friend's birthday party, and I, had a, we had a, I was exhausted and worn out, and um, that's not an excuse, though. And my kids were cleaning the dishes and stuff, so they go finish their movie that they were going to watch and all this stuff. And, out of, and I'm trying to play songs, and, and I make it fun for them. Next thing I know, I hear this massive shattering of glass across the floor in my kitchen. And now this is the third thing that they've broken within a couple weeks. And so all of this boils up inside of me, and all against my better judgment, I just lose it. I unglue towards my kids. I'm just like, what are you doing? And just two of them are the culprits, and they get the brunt of it. And I'm just like, you guys are being so careless, and this, all this stuff's coming out of my mouth. And I'm sitting down, and I'm trying to calm myself down. And inside my head, if you were there, you would have thought I was a nut. Because a part of me is going, Greg, what are you doing? You Don't do this. You know this isn't a good, this isn't good for your kids. This isn't good for you. This is not who you want to be. Guy, calm down. This isn't a big deal. It's just a glass jar. What is going on with me? We've all probably been there. God, please let other people have been there. Uh, we've We've all been there with this war inside of us. Don't do it. Don't do it. I got to do it. 
I'm doing it. Why am I doing it? I don't know. And this is what he's talking about. On the one hand, we know what we're doing is wrong and we shouldn't do it and we don't want to do it. And so we agree with God's word. We know we shouldn't treat people unlovingly because God said to love others as yourself. And we're like, I know I should love others, but I really want to be angry and hurt this person right now with my words. I want to cut them down. I know that I should be, have self-control, but I really, really, really want to eat this thing right now because I'm, I'm feeling massive anxiety. We, we, we get that this world is twisted. So what Paul says is, guys, you know what's good, and you agree with the law that it's good, but you don't do it. So what's his conclusion? Look at verse 17. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. It's like if I'm agreeing with the law, if all my motivation is over here and I'm still doing this, what is going on? It's trying to show you how sinful sin is, that it is like something that can possess and control your actions. Now, you, can will, you willingly give into it. I get that. But Paul is right now talking about the power of sin. He's not talking about the volition and all this stuff. He's talking about literally sin is so powerful that it can grab hold of you and make you do the very thing you don't want to do. And this is the war. This is the, if, you're, if you're not a Christian, this is honestly what Christians face. We're constantly going, I don't want to do this. And I end up doing something that I feel guilty about and I know is wrong. Now, not everybody is that way. I get that. We're not all in this direction. Some of you are there. Others of us, we don't even think we've ever done anything wrong because everything we do is good to us. And I, and I get that. I've met plenty of people who are that way. That when the Christian becomes a Christian, they realize what sin is because they've got this relationship with God. And then they suddenly get into this duality where it's like, I don't want to do this, but I'm doing it. And so there's this struggle that's going on. And Paul literally says, look at this, verse 18. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. And a lot of people disagree with that statement. I mean, it's right there in scripture, plain text. We don't have the ability to carry out the good we want to do. He says it very clearly. And we go, no, that's not what he means. And that's not, we don't, we have good in us. And Paul's argument is basically this. If you had good in you, you would be able to overcome sin when it shows up. But we lose the fight. Muster up your good inside of you and beat sin then. But whenever sin wants to have his way with you, he just shows up and has his way. Regardless of how good our intentions are. And he says, in our flesh, which is the description of our body, the remaining of who we are, we have these ingrained realities within us that are aimed at sin. And, and sin just grabs hold of him and takes us off. There are these habits that are built inside of us. There's these ways of life that we have put into us for years and years and years and years. Your soul, your spirit is alive to God. It has been renewed. And so there's this duality of that your heart and everything in you longs for God, but your flesh is going to take over at times. I take you in a new direction. I mean, the body is bad. No, no, no. The body will be transformed in the resurrection. It's just that there's habits of sin and these controls of these, these things that we now know are neural pathways and things like that, that sin puts and ruts into us. We can't help but run after them. There's this duality, this fight going on. A few years ago, I sat down with my kids. My, my son, Nate, was way into video games. My daughter was too. They still are. And um, we have the Wii at home. And uh, we, we would borrow somebody's um, 
I think it was Mario Brother like World or something like that. And, there, and so the kids were trying to figure out how to play it. And it was the old Nintendo, con- like the right way you're supposed to use a Nintendo controller, you know, or it's buttons like this. And when growing up, you're like, no, it's this way, Greg. It's an Atari controller. But anyway, the... Uh, this controller was, was, was fun for that time because I had gotten into my mind that my kids were a little obsessed about this, this video game thing. So I started, talking up, I started talking up their chores. I'm like, dude, we get to do the dishes. This is going to be awesome. And my kids are like, what's wrong with that? He's lost it. And I'm like, no, this is going to be great. We're going to sing songs together. We're going to have a blast. We're going to make this fun. We're all doing stuff. And they're all having a blast doing it with me. I'm making it all exciting. And I'm like, and then afterwards, I'm like, this is going to be great because when you're done, you have to play video games. And they're like, what? Okay, yeah. They don't know what they were in for. Because I said they had to. Gave them each a controller, turned on the Mario Brothers, and I set a timer. You have 20 minutes, you have to play this video game, and you must get to level five. And I watched them. And every time they died, all their lives were out. I said, you got to sit down for 30 seconds off the game, and then you got to go back to it. And I turned it into this chore. I made a law. My kids were sitting there going, I don't ever want to play video games again. <laughs> And the reason why was they couldn't get across one jump, one simple jump. The law had crushed them. They were under this law situation, and they had to get over this one jump, and they couldn't do it. So you know what they did? They ran to me and said, Dad, would you please get over the jump? And they handed me the controller. I'm like, okay, bloop, bloop, bloop. I jumped over it and gave it back. They couldn't get over another jump. They were back to that one jump. Get over the jump. Jump over it again. Get them through that next jump. Give it back to them. They couldn't get past the next part. They're back to that jump. And it was really interesting because anytime they really wanted to get anywhere, they had to give me the controller. Anytime they, but then they wanted it back so they could keep playing the game. This is the picture I want us to hold on to for a minute while we explain the rest of the text. Because this is the picture of the Christian life. This is the picture of what we're running through. We got this law crushing us. We know what we need to do. But... We can't do it. And it's driving us crazy. And some of us are going, I don't want to play this game anymore. But what do we do? Paul goes on in verse, we'll just kind of move down to verse 19. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. I want to jump over the jump, but I can't do it. I keep falling in. I want to get past this, but I can't do it. I keep, I keep messing up. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. The spiritual condition of Christians is one of conflict. It's one in which we want to make the jump. We want to get over. We know we have to in order to win the game, in order to do what we mean. We got, no, we got to do this. We only got so long. I got to make it. Ah! And what's even worse is when you finally give up, what happens? It goes back to the start menu. You ever seen the start menu on a video game? Nowadays, with the start, it shows start menu, and then about three seconds in, it shows a level you can never make it to. And they're doing all this stuff amazingly and jumping around. So you're like, this is awesome, showing you a picture of what life could be. And so you pick it back up and you're like, this is going to be great. And you can't make it over that one jump. The whole game's kept away from you because you can't do it. Sin keeps crushing you and your inability keeps crushing you. 
And we fight and we fight and we fight. We struggle and we struggle and we struggle. But we can't get past it. We can't get past it. It's this conflict. I want to make it. I can't do it. I keep falling back. What do I do? What do we do in this? Notice that's exactly where Paul gets to. But, but we'll, get, we'll, we'll answer that question in a minute because I want to sh- show you an observation in the text. It's kind of an interesting observation. I didn't notice it until I studied it this time. And I, I realized there's one word that shows up a whole bunch in the text. Do you know what that word is? I. I. I don't understand my own actions. I do not do, want to do what I want to do, but, the very, but, I do the, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin who dwells within me. For I know that nothing... Where's God? He's not in the text. I, 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 I want to, I want to, I want to, I want to. I'm going to make it, I'm going to make it, I'm going to make it, I'm going to make it. And God's going, can you hand me the controller? I'm going to do it. Can you hand me the controller? I'm going to do it. I'm going to make it, I'm going to make it. You can't do it. You're bad video game players. We can't do it. Wave the wand to do whatever you can. Put in the cheat code. We can't do it. God's going, give me the controller. My kids were smart enough to run over and go, Dad, make the jump. All right. And they said, give it back. Okay, here you go. Oh, that's life. Anybody feel that way? Anybody agreed with me? Yeah. Anybody on the same lousy routine? If you're not, please tell me what you're doing. But I want to show you what the Bible is saying. Because honestly, we want to do it ourselves. God's saying, give me the controller. And every time we look at the spirit of God who dwells inside of you, Christian, you're telling the spirit of God, go take a hike. I got this. The second you tell God to go take a hike is the second you've already given in to sin. That's why you can't beat it. Sin is so powerful. You need somebody more powerful than sin to win. And it's not you. What we do is we justify why we can do it. We use our intelligence to say why we're so good at this and I can overcome this, and, but we don't have any control. We think our power, our willpower will get us past this if I can just urge myself further. Yeah, you, maybe you get a little further than you did last time, but eventually you fall straight on your face. You can't stop it. In fact, the, big, the best thing most of us have all done is we've just traded sins. Sure, you're not sinning in this way, but you, your attitude still stinks in another Sure, you may be not giving in to, 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 the, to the pornography, but now you're just yelling and screaming at people. Sure, you may not be giving in to the, uh, the lies, but now you're just bossing people around. Sure, you may not be giving in to getting drunk anymore, but that, that refrigerator sure has a lot of love. You just trade sins. It's been proven over and over and over again that all we do is we trade one love for another. And we as Christians shouldn't be trading sin for sin. We shouldn't be thinking willpower is going to get us past. We have a power within us that already gets us out of this. We don't have to worry about this. No wonder Paul writes this. He says, now I find that the law to be within the law, that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God, my inner being, but I see my members, another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, Who's going to deliver me from this body of death? We're like my kids going, I don't want to play this game anymore. How, who's going to get us out of this? 
How are, we gonna, how are you going to do it? How are you going to free yourself? How are you going to release yourself from this ridiculous back and forth? Verse 25, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. The rest of chapter 8, we'll describe this in detail. We're going to save that for the next series. But the point is very clear. The Trinitarian God alone wins against sin. The Trinitarian God alone wins against sin. Why do I say the Trinitarian God? Because it's got to be a God who can dwell in your life and not just be up in the heavens, way, way far away. It's got to be a God who's dealt with our sin through Jesus Christ. Otherwise, there's no way to deal with our sin. We're just going to keep landing right in the middle of that pit. We can't jump over it. We can't jump over it. But instead, what God has done is he's paid for it all. He's dealt with the sin. He's erased the problem. We don't relate to God through the law anymore. Now we're free to play the game. We don't have to worry about when we fail, when the time runs out. We get a chance to enjoy the relationship with God. And here's the beauty of what it looks like. We have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ and he's dwelling in you. My kids got smart after they started, after that whole experiment was over and they kind of got the idea that, okay, it's really about what we have to do that we don't like and and we got all that conversation and they, they eventually were back to the game and they go, dad, we can't make it over this here and they hand me the controller and I start playing and they just start jumping and they're having blasts. They're like, yeah, yeah, go, go, go. And we just kept going through levels and levels. I mean, the game wasn't super hard, but they were like five, and so it was really hard for them. And we're just jumping through levels. And I'm, you know, I'm dying here and there, and they're yelling at me, you can't die, keep going, you know, stuff like that. But the more they, I, they let me control the control, the further the game went along. till we beat the game, and they watched the whole thing, and they loved it for some reason. Because they felt like, and they would say stuff like, we beat it, we beat it. I'm thinking... No, I beat it. What are you talking about? But they're like, we beat it, we beat it. And they were right because it was their game. But they were smart enough to give me the controller and then they would play around here and there when it wasn't wrong and they weren't going to fail or whatever. But that's the point of life. The controller will be taken over by sin if you just want to do it yourself. You can't beat it. You're going to fail. You're not going to end the game. But we've got a spirit who dwells in us. We've got a God who loves us. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit who says, give me the controller. And he actually literally works through us. It's like we're actually the controller. And he just takes control and leads and guides and works in us and lives in us and walks with us. You see, we've we've talked about all this stuff. We were once slaves to sin, locked down in sin, unable to move, unable to, and God comes and in Jesus Christ, and hear me, this is so important. It is the answer to so many people's struggles. People think they can overcome all these things in their life, all their struggles in their families, their spouses with their kids, all this trouble with their own eating, with their their own drinking, with their partying, with their cussing, with, with all the stuff that may not be troubling or may be troubling them. The only way out is to surrender to God in Jesus Christ. You can't have a relationship with God. We, we hear all the time that God's this loving God, but he's not loving if you have sin in your life. Because he loves holiness and is displeased with evil. And so Jesus must bear the sins to be able to enable us to experience the love of God. He's going to keep evil out of his home. And so we surrender to Jesus Christ. Jesus bears the evil and puts it aside. And now we have this relationship, not with sin anymore. 
And not with law. We found out the law just causes us and provokes us and causes all this problem. Now we have a relationship with Christ. And he shows us by entering into our lives through the law. Not through, sorry, through the spirit. Excuse me. Through the spirit. And he enters into us to use us and motivate us and shape us and change us. So let me ask us a question, Christians. Why are we fighting our sins by ourselves? Why, when temptation comes, do we think, I can do this? You pick up your Bible and you think, I can read and I can do these things. You'll produce these laws. You'll produce these rules. Just say no to this and no to that. And we'll fear all this stuff. And we'll keep ourselves locked up. Why are we doing that when God alone defeats sin? If Jesus is the Hosanna Christ who walked down that path and people shouted about the praise of the king on this Palm Sunday, why do we not let the king who defeated sin defeat the sin in our hearts? Why do we keep fighting by ourselves? I, 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 I can't. He did already. We just have to admit the fact that the Spirit is fighting. Notice this Galatians passage. The desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. The desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. They're at war with each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. And I love that ambiguity. To keep you from doing the things that you want to do because we have two things we want to do. Part of us wants to sin. Part of us wants this. And so the spirit comes in and keeps the part of us that wants to sin from doing what we want to do. And the flesh will come in and keep us from doing the things that we want to do in the spirit. So it's, we are the battleground. Let God win the victory. What do we do here? When you feel tempted to sin, I think the best thing you can do is confess. Be honest with yourself. If you're a Christian and you feel like a real, like last night, I mean, I did a lot of confessing on, on my own. To myself, to my kids, to, my, to God. Just going, I'm just angry about stuff. And I had to do some soul searching. I had to find out where God was trying to wake me up and what was going on in my heart. And I had to go through a series of confession in order to deal with it. Or else I was just going to continue to give in to the flesh. And the spirit is leading me away from that so that I would walk away from it. Second, then once I've confessed that, that fight, I surrendered. I just said, God, I can't do this anymore. You've got to fight for me. You got to take it for me. I can't do this. Fascinating thing happens when that happens. You start worshiping God. You start focusing on him. You start hearing and thinking about his scripture. You start caring and serving for other people. And you start, and, and suddenly everything starts to shift in your mind. You start going, oh, I'm, you know, I need to have compassion on my children. They don't know this stuff. I need to pray with them. I need to point them to the Lord. I need to repent and show them what that looks like. And all this good starts flowing through me after you've, I've surrendered. Because God starts grabbing a hold of my heart again and leading me. And then as I obeyed his lead, he starts cleaning up messes and starts leading me back to character away from habits. Don't fight your sin on your own. Community is powerful. The Bible is powerful. Prayer is powerful, but it's not powerful enough to fight sin on its own. You must have the Spirit of God using those things so that you can see sin defeated in your life. Surrender to the Lord. Let him fight on your behalf.
Let him be your guide. Walk with him. Relate with him. Obey him. And you will see it's not laws and rules. It's not running free in sin. It is God, the victor, already defeated sin in your soul. It sounds so simple, but it is. Because guess what? God's real. He truly exists. And he truly dwells in you. And when we build rules and we build these things up and we do all these other things, we're just trying to say, God, you don't. I got it from here. Can I have the controller back? Just give it over. Give it over and let him take it. He's way better at it than we are. Would you bow your heads with me? Involved in this conversation is the relationship with God. You've heard me already talk about that and I really want to express it clearly that God is a loving God, but our sin is what brings that relationship to a halt, to an impasse. God has to judge sin. He has to. A good God like God wouldn't let evil continue. Not in our hearts, not in our lives. So he has to deal with it. The problem is, as you saw, sin's in us. And so he resolved to deal with sin by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to his God, to die on the cross, burying that sin to make the relationship with him right. And once we receive that gift of forgiveness, and once we receive that gift of him dealing with sin, a relationship with God opens up. And God, the Spirit, moves in and fights those fights of sin for us and helps us build character and shapes and guides us as we walk with him. But all of that beauty and all of that fruit and all that transformation is all because Jesus bore our sins. And you may not be able to experience that because you have not yet experienced the forgiveness of sins and the, rela- and the right relationship with God. You may have been going to church for years and you may be here for the first time, but you have not yet experienced that relationship with God. You've been depending on your rules or you've just been running off in sin. But God has a gift for you. He has the gift of his son, Jesus Christ, to bear your sins. Maybe this morning is the time that you receive the gift. You don't clean up and get it, get ready for it. No, it's a gift he hands to you right now. You just say to God, God, I, I want to receive this gift of yours. I want to be forgiven of sins. If that's where you're at, you want to receive that this morning, right now, put your hand up. I want to pray with you. By putting that hand up, you're letting me know that I am ready to receive that gift of forgiveness and begin a relationship with God. He may be calling you right now saying, come on, receive it. And if that's you, Join with me in this prayer. It's a prayer that doesn't save you, but allows you to talk to God and just confess your trust. And you say, God in heaven, I know that I've sinned. And I see that sin controls me. I ask that you'd forgive me of my sin. I trust that Jesus Christ died on the cross to take that sin and make my relationship right with you, Father. 
I ask now that, I, now that you would fill me with your spirit and walk with me through life. I receive your gift and trust your promise. In Jesus' name, amen.